You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. That's what we've been walking through, and really what we've been trying to do is kind of look at this idea of being a steward um, from from a holistic viewpoint, meaning we want to kind of zoom to 30,000 feet and look at all of the good things that God has given to his people, and then what it means for us to be stewards of those good things. And so um, we we talked about the first week about common grace, how how God's goodness is revealed to all people in, in sort of all of the good things that we get to enjoy, um, whether we're believers or not. So that's that's food or sunshine or, uh, you know, companionship, like all, all of those good things that God gives to, to all people, regardless of whether they're Christians or not. And then last week, we talked about how we steward God's uh, gospel grace. So we looked at um, what it is that Jesus has done and what it looks like for us to be a people um, that, again, don't just sort of sit on the riches and the marvels of God's grace, but that utilize it or that steward it in such a way that, that God gets glory, right? So um, there's, really, there's really one phrase that has kind of uh, defined sort of these, these last three weeks. And I'm, I'm just going to read it again because I think that um, it's important for us to move forward into any one of these three sermons um, with, with really this understanding of what it means to be a steward. And so um, we've defined it this way um, over the last three weeks. To, to steward well is to leverage that which we've been given for the sake of its owner. So we steward God's graces well for the sake of their owner and their giver, which is God. And so what it looks like for a Christian to be a good steward means to take in all of those things, God's gospel grace, God's common grace, and to steward those in such a way that that God is glorified. And so we saw that really from, from the beginning, that when God created us humans, he said, you will bear my image and you'll be fruitful and multiply. You'll have dominion over the earth. You will reign over this earth in my image for my glory, right? So, so we were created sort of as ambassadors, as people that would reflect the glory of God. And, and what we see ultimately in the story of the Bible is that um, we fail at that pretty miserably about 15 minutes into the whole sort of deal, right? Um, but that through Jesus, we've been redeemed into that purpose, that we've been brought back to the, the, even the ability to do such a thing, to reflect the glory of God. And so um, as Christians, we want to look at the things that we've been given and say, how is it that I can leverage this, not for my glory, but for the glory of God? Because my glory is temporary, but God's glory is eternal. Right, so that's, that's where we've been going. And so today is the final sermon, and we've titled it, um, We Steward God's Specific Grace. So like I said, we, we kind of started off at 30,000 feet. How is it that God is good to all people? And we, we looked at sort of all the different things that he provided. And then how has he specifically been gracious to his people, meaning uh, Christians, the people who have called upon Christ for salvation? Right, so now what we want to look at is get in even a little bit closer and, and look at, really take a measure of us, each of us, individually. How is it that God has blessed us? What is it that he's given us ultimately to steward? To steward not for our sake, but for his sake, for his glory. And so there's three, there's three things that we're going to look at today. Um, and the first one will be our time. Uh, the second thing that we'll look at is our talent. Um, and then the third thing that we'll look at is our resources. And you're probably like, wait a minute, why is that not also a T? Um, because you used two of them before, time, talent, and resources. Well, well, here's the thing. A lot of people like to use the word treasure there. Um, but my hope is that those things that we have, we would begin to look at not as our treasure, because our treasure is Jesus, 
Our treasure is the, the glorious good news of the gospel. Our treasure is an inheritance that has been laid up for us in heaven that cannot be removed, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be uh, taken by thieves. Right? So it's not what, what I would like for us to begin to do, hopefully today, as, as a church, as, as followers of Jesus, um, is to begin to look at the things that we have as resources to steward for God's glory, not a treasure to hold on to. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is talk about um, our time. Now, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit in Scripture today, and so uh, if, if you're sort of used to the Bible drill thing, if you grew up in church, um, get ready to practice your skills, um, but don't feel obligated to, uh, to, to sort of follow along. I can uh, give those out later at another point. So, um, and I will tell you this, uh, this, this morning is a great morning for for someone like me, a, a pastor who has to sort of get up in front of people and talk to them about things that tr- traditionally people try to tiptoe around because it's a sensitive subject. Um, it's really good to be able to sing those songs that we just sang. Um, and so I, I, I'm up here confident in the grace and, and, and the majesty of Christ towards me um, and towards all of you who would call upon his name for salvation. So uh, let's work through this um, with, with grace for one another and, and grace for me too. So um, with that said, Let's jump right into our time. We're going to, speaking of time, I I don't have a ton today. And so what I want to do is focus really on the the last point. So this one's going to be quick. But um, Acts 17, 24 uh, through 27 reads like this. And I'm just going to read it for you quickly. Like I said, follow along if you want. Acts 17, 24 says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And this is, the, this is where we get, get really key here. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So uh, it's, it's very clear here um, that, as, that as much as we would like to think that sort of uh, our time or, or our lives are sort of under our control, that if, we, that if we sort of work out enough or if we care for ourselves well enough, uh, that, that we sort of get to decide when it is that, that we get to go when it is that our period is up. But ultimately, there's, there's two things that we can know for sure. One, our time is limited. And two, it's a time that God has allotted for us. Right? He doesn't, he, and he's not just talking about Christians here. He says that he made from one man every nation of mankind. Every, every person. He's, he's, go to Psalm 139. He knit you together um, in your mother's womb. Right? He has is, he is created each and every one of you, and he has allotted for you a time and a season that is, that is finite in terms of your time here on earth. Now, uh, for the Christian, that, that should be somewhat comforting, even though it's scary. Right? But so our, our time is limited, but it's been given to us for a purpose. Right? Like that's what Acts 17 tells us. He says that he's given us an allotted time to live and he's even given us an allotted space in which to live. So the fact that you live in Houston or even in Montrose right now is not by accident. That, that you've been given an allotted time, an allotted space, so that what? The, the next verse goes on to say that we've been given that, that we might seek him and that we might find him. Right? So 
our time should be leveraged towards what? Towards, towards coming to know Christ. Because we know that when that happens, when we steward our time to that end, that we will actually find it. It says he's, not, he's actually not far away from us. Right? And hopefully we've seen that throughout the series when we, when we begin to learn that all good things come from the Father of lights, from God above. Right? That he is near us, that he's been near us in blessing us with, with a million different things that we oftentimes let slide sort of throughout our day without even acknowledging the fact that God is near to us in those things that he's near to us in the food that we eat, that he's near to us in the fellowship that we share, that he's near to us in, in having a job, that he's near to us in providing for us um, a, a salary or a wage, that he's near to us in all of those things, that he's near to us even in our suffering, that he's near to us in all things that come our way. Because he is in all and through all, and everything was made by him, um, and for him, right? And so our time has been given to us for a purpose, to be leveraged, to be, steward, to be stewarded ultimately for his will. And so Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 tell us that we should walk, right? That if you're a Christian, that, that you should walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So here's the thing, God has given us specifically, each one of us individually, an allotted time, right? So some of us longer than others, some of us shorter than others. Does that mean that God is better to some people than, than to other people? No, it's just different. But we do have a common call with that time to use that time, to steward that time for his sake and not for ours. Right, so, that's, so that's our time. And our time ultimately is always sort of the, the thing that we're most prone to waste, right? Like if there's, if there's anything that, that we don't struggle to do, it's, it's wasting time. I'm like, and and I'm, I'm saying this from a, a, a personal perspective as well because I get to look through each and every day and, and come to the end of it and say, wow, um, there's, you know, kind of the majority even of my day is probably spent doing things that ultimately benefit me and who I am, and what I need, and what I want. Probably one of the most depressing things I've ever seen. Uh, I was in, um, I was probably in high school, I think towards the end, um, and before I got married, which means I still had an Xbox. So, um, but so it would, <laughs> it would give you, it would give you like, uh, you know, your stats, like your, your stats for, for gaming, or what, this sounds so nerdy. I can't believe I'm telling you guys this. Um, but it would give you your stats, and what it would do is it would tell you, like, like you would get, like, awards for playing a certain amount of time. You know, it's like, okay. And so I got to go and, <laughs> I got to go in and look at that, and it's like, you've played this game for four days, you know? Um, and I just began to realize that, like, four days of my life were encompassed in that particular activity. Um, and, and as silly and as, as goofy as that sounds, the, the truth of the matter is if, if we sort of had a counter or a ticker for, for everything that we sort of did, um, it would be shameful the amount of time that we spend on things that are inconsequential or that don't matter. And, and, and as Christians, look, we've been, we've been called to steward like we've been called to steward our time for the greatest good, right? That's why, that's why Paul says to the Ephesians, walk not as unwise, but as wise. Making best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. So here's the thing. If the gospel is true and people are dying and they really are going to hell, 
and he sent you as plan A, and there is no plan B, then what are we, what are we stewarding our time towards? Should be leveraging it for his glory. Should be leveraging it for his glory. So that was um, our time. Now we want to talk a little bit um, about our talents, which are oftentimes the thing that we're sort of most prone to disdain, right? So if, if our time is sort of the thing that we're most prone to waste, our talents are the things that we're most prone to disdain. And what I mean by that is that more often than not, we spend our time looking at what other people have talent-wise and wishing we had that. Right? So me, I'm, like, I'm not a very good singer. I sing really loud, and, I, and that's why I'm up here right next to the speaker so that you can't hear me. But I, I sing really loud because I like to sing, but I don't sing well. And so w- what I've done really for a lot of my life is kind of looked at people that I, that I really admire in terms of their singing voice, and I've wished that I had that talent or that capability. And yet the Lord has gifted me, given me talent in, in other areas that maybe I'm just not as psyched about having. Maybe it's a gra- the grass is always greener kind of situation, but most of us spend a lot of our time wishing that we were gifted or talented in another area than we already are. And so that's what I mean by um, the thing that we're most prone to disdain. But I kind of jumped ahead of the curve a little bit. In Psalm 139, it says this, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And so here's the thing. Um, whether, whether you disdain your talents or whether you find sort of hope in your talents, like your abilities, there's, there's, there's those people, you know, that, that not a lot of people like, um, that are really kind of happy with, with what they have. They're very proud of how good they are at a particular thing. And that's kind of the person that you point at and go, oh, he's so prideful, you know, kind of a jerk. Uh, and you don't want to hang out with that guy. Um, but either way, no matter what, if we begin again to go back to where did this thing that I've been given come from, you begin to understand that, again, it's not, it's not so much about you, like that the world doesn't always revolve around you, but that you've been given something, again, not, not sort of to, to leverage inwardly upon yourself, but to leverage for the glory of God. So he's given us our time, but he's also given us our talents. Now, when we talk about our talents, I, I want us to, to really think about sort of two things. Um, that, that the Lord gives um, in terms of talent. Now, there's, there's naturally given talent, right? Like, that's, that's part of common grace. This is why there's always that question where it's like, why is, it that, why is it that bad people sort of have good things? Or why is it that bad people are sort of the most talented? They have the most money or they have the, the, the nicest voices or, or whatever it might be, right? But that all of that has proceeded from God as part of his common grace. But there's, there's naturally given talent, and then there's also uh, that which is spirit-given, the spirit-given gift for the sake of the church. And so those are the two things that really that I want to sort of talk about underneath this idea of our talents. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is just the, the naturally given gifts, right? That there are people out there who don't know Jesus far from knowing Jesus that are extremely talented. Extremely talented. And I, and I, think, I think all of us, to some degree, have been given a measure of talent. And as I look around the room, the people that I do know, it's, it's interesting to be able to kind of be like, oh, yeah, I know what that guy's good at and, and stuff like that. And so um, I think that that is indisputable, um, that, all, that all of us have been given some sort of talent. But what I want to do to sort of bring this, uh, uh, bring this around or bring this sort of to a fuller understanding um, is, is to look at a man... Uh, by, by the name of Eric Liddell, who kind of, who kind of understands the, the difference between these two things, uh, sort of a naturally given talent that, that God gave to you by his grace, whether you follow him or not, that you have that talent. 
Um, and, then, and then also someone who understands the idea of a gift uh, being given by God or, or, or a spiritual gift. And so Eric Liddell, just re- really quickly, if you've ever seen Chariots of Fire, that's who I'm talking about. So the, uh, the, the slow-mo running, no, nobody? Okay, uh, I'm the only one that ran in high school. So I watched that movie like before every race. Anyway, super inspiring. But he's a Scottish guy, super fast runner. That's all you need to know. Um, what, you know, won some events, um, very, very sort of famous for that. Um, one of, I think one of the first guys sort of to, to break into that 40 time um, in the 400 meter dash, which is pretty fast. So, um, but anyway, a, a runner, but also a Christian man. And, and he said this, so he's extremely naturally talented man. Like, like I said, he won events, he went to the Olympics, he ran uh, for his country. Like, so a very talented runner. But he said this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And what you don't know about Eric Liddell is that although he was an incredibly talented runner, incredibly fast, he actually went on to be a missionary later in life. I mean, he actually sort of, he, he would still compete here and there, but he spent most of his life in China during sort of the, uh, the tension between China and Japan. And he ended up in an internment camp there, which is basically a, a nice word for prison camp. Um, and, and he spent the rest of his days there. He died, he died in that situation. Um, but, but so here's the thing. Um, what, what Eric Liddell didn't do was, was look at his natural ability and say, that's no longer worth anything to me. I'm just going to go do this thing that the Spirit has called me to do, he's gifted me to do, which is to, to be a missionary, to share, to share Jesus Christ in a, in a foreign culture. Like that's a, that's a spiritual gift to be able to do those things. But he did both, and he did both of them to the glory of God. So uh, I, I think often um, it's, sort of, uh, it's sort of the desire of the Christian to be overly humble, um, which, I, which I respect and I think is great. But to disdain your gift or to look at the, the way that the Lord has naturally gifted you and say, there's no way for me to redeem this, is, is, is actually kind of naive. And I think a little bit uh, immature. And what, what I would hope for us to see is that if we understand that, that God is the one who has given us our talents, then, then, then we can also begin to see that when we use those for his glory, that he actually does gain pleasure from that. Like that Eric Liddell can say, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. He's just running. Like er- everyone in here is like, I've been running f- before. I don't feel that, right? <laughs> I, I ran a 5K yesterday. I did not feel that. I felt my displeasure much more than God's pleasure um, <laughs> during that situation. But look, if, if we begin to understand that, like if we really begin to understand that our, our talents, the, the things that God has naturally gifted us to do, that when we do that, God, and when we do that well, that God gains glory, everything changes for a Christian. You see, there's always, like, there's always been this big dichotomy where it's like, okay, um, if you work a secular job, you're just sort of a, a halfway Christian, but if you sell out and you know, like give yourself over to the ministry full time, like that, that you're more holy or that you're more of a Christian, that you sort of dedicated your life into the, to the service of God. And while, while uh, the full-time minister is important, what, what it's ultimately done is created a divide that's not there. You see, I, I really and truly believe that God gets just as much glory from me getting up here and preaching the gospel and the good news as he does when you go to work and you do a good job and you preach the gospel of Jesus. When you, when you utilize your talents for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of his fame, when you get an opportunity to share why you do things the way you do and you give the glory 
to Jesus. Like, I believe that those are completely and totally of equal worth because, again, God has allotted your time and he's allotted your talents for the sake of his kingdom. He knit you together. He created you the way you were created. Don't disdain that. So, uh, there's, the, there's sort of the naturally given gift. We see that in Psalm 139. But then there's, then there's the Spirit, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right? So here's the thing. If you're, if you're a Christian in the room, like, this is true. <laughs> right? There's so, many, there's so many parts of the Bible that we, wanna, that we read and we're like, yeah, I'm into that. Like, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, so that none can boast. Yes, I'm into that. But then it's like, oh, wait, but I've been gifted for the common good. I don't know what that looks like, so I'm just going to kind of keep holding on to this one over here, the by grace through faith thing. That's fun. This is a little bit more difficult. It means I have to kind of discover myself. It means I also have to kind of utilize my gifts for other people's good. That's a little bit more difficult. But look, this is, this is just as true as by grace through faith. So if you're a Christian in the room, like you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not up for debate. There is no if, and, or but. Like, you have been gifted by the Spirit. Like, the Spirit, there is a manifestation of the Spirit in you that has been given to you for what? For the sake of the common good. For the sake of the church. And so you say, well, wait a minute. That, that's, so I'm leveraging it for the glory of the church, not for the glory of God. But no, that's not the case. Because, again, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known through the church. So God should be gaining glory through the church from the church. And, and I know that for, for a lot of us that have sort of been around um, the church for any, any measure of time, we've seen that maybe that's, that's not the case. And we, I mean, we admit to it every Sunday morning that we're an imperfect church. But our hope and our prayer is that you would see the, the perfection of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, um, Paul tells us that when we utilize our gifts, when we take that spirit-given gift and we really do work it together for the common good, that we're built up into maturity to be more like Christ so that people might see more of the perfection of Jesus. And that's why following Jesus is so much more than, than sort of just an individual pursuit of uh, kind of wealth and happiness until we fade off into glory. It's so, it's so much more than that. And so here's the thing. Um, we, we shouldn't be a people um, that sort of uh, just self-criticize and self-disdain. We should live confidently into our gifts, not because we're awesome, but because God has been awesome in giving them to us. And the way we steward them should show that he is good, that he has taken someone who is imperfect, fallible, uh, you know, incapable of, of doing good things, and that he has redeemed us to be able to do those things well. So here's the thing, I want, I, want, I want to be a church where we value people in the ministry just as much as we value people uh, in, in sort of the secular workplace. Because really, if you're a Christian, you're in the ministry no matter where you're at. Right? That's, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that Jesus came to bring a ministry of reconciliation and that he's passed that off to his church. Like that that ministry is now ours. And so it doesn't matter where you do it, you're doing it. So... Uh, that's our time and that's our talents. And this is really where I wanted to spend the bulk of our time. And I've already kind of 
used up most of it. So uh, I'll try to keep it quick. Um, but we're going to talk about our resources, um, which is really the thing that we're most prone to hoard. Right. So so our time, the thing we're most prone to waste, the thing we're sort of least the, the thing we're most careless with, um, our talents, the thing that we're most likely to sort of disdain and be like, that's not that great. I wish I was like this. Um, and then our resources, the thing that we're most sort of prone to grasp onto, to hold onto, to want to control, to want to have. Right. And this is this is ultimately the toughest part. Right. Because everyone's OK uh, with a pastor reminding them that they waste their time every now and then. Right. Like, that's not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. So, uh, you know, go ahead, pastor, get on, you know, get on your soapbox, do your thing and uh, and we'll call it a day. Right. Um, and, and everyone is definitely OK with hearing that they're that they're gifted and talented by God for good things. Right. Like everyone's like, yeah, that's I'm, I'm down with that. That sounds good. Um, but what most people are not OK with is when we begin to talk about what's in their wallet, when we begin to talk about what's in their home, when we begin to talk about what's in their refrigerator, when we begin to talk about all of the things that God has given to them. Right, like that's when everyone's like, OK, like, where's the, the buzzer? You know, America's got talent style. Like, just stop it. Stop it now. <laughs> um, and that's where we're going. So, um, so <laughs> but let me, let me just give you, let me give you three reasons why I think it's important that we talk about this um, in the church and why I think ultimately it's really important um, that, we, that we reclaim sort of this ground. Because um, when, when we begin to talk about our resources, no, first thing, it was important to Jesus. So, juke. Um, <laughs> Nobody's heard that either. Jesus juke? No? Okay. It's, it's when somebody gives you a question and you just answer it with Jesus. Anyway, um, I can't believe I'm explaining this. Uh, anyway, resources. Our resources were important to Jesus. He preached about it all the time, talked about it all the time, right? Um, second reason. It's our culture's most revered idol and its most revered savior. Like that most people look to money as something they either aspire to or that if they have it, they will be saved from whatever situation they have that they, they happen to find themselves in. Right. Um, and I mean, it, it's readily apparent. It's readily apparent. And this is, and look, this disease is not just out there like in the world, but it's in the church. Like that, like the people of God that, that Jesus loved and cared for and, and desired them to, to know how to steward and to care for and to use their resources for the sake of the glory of God. Like we give less now as and this I'm just talking about Christians. We give less now um, than than Christians gave percentage wise in the Great Depression. Right. More. We definitely have more money than they had, but we give less than than they did. Right? I mean, let me, just, let me just step on a toe here, okay? Most of us in this room, if we're Christians, right? And so I'm talking to Christians. Look, if you're, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, look, I don't expect you to give to the church. I want you to give yourself to Jesus first, and then we can talk about that, okay? So relax. It's okay. Christians, these are the toes that I'm, that I'm trying to step on. But look, most of us, if we're Christians in the room, you give more to AT&T than you give to, to the church, it's true. It's true. Many of us give more to our cell phone company than we give to the church. And that's, that's a problem. Not, not, you're you're going to see why um, that's a problem here in a minute. I'm trying not to, to spoil it here. And then the third reason that we need to talk about it is that it is the most misunderstood topic when it comes to the Christian faith or Christian belief. Right? So if you're not a Christian in the room, like, this is something um, that the, the American church has worked extra hard to discredit itself over the years, right? I mean, we've seen scandal after scandal after scandal. 
that have left not, not just non-Christians, but have also left Christians wondering whether or not the church and its leaders can be trusted. Right? I mean, so here's the thing. What, what I want us to do is I really want us to just take a few moments and, and, and look at this um, in hopes that we can see this um, in, in the way that God would have us see it, that we would see it in light of the gospel, that we would see it in light of God's goodness, that we would see it in light of the fact that he has given us all that we have that we might steward it towards his glory. So here's the thing. Your money is no different from your talents. It's just a bigger issue because it's what blinds you most. It's a bigger issue because it's what you hold on to most. It's what you hold most dear. Yeah, sure, I'll give you an hour on Sunday mornings to serve, but don't ask me to touch my wallet because I'm going to need that to play golf when I'm 80 or whatever, whatever plans you have. Right, so anyway, let's go. Um, Mark 10, 17 uh, through 22 tells us a story about uh, a rich young man that approaches Jesus, and and this is kind of how that conversation goes down. It says this, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, knelt before Jesus, um, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So here's the thing. There's a a couple questions that we have to ask ourselves real quickly. Um, Is is Jesus saying that we can be saved by works, right? Because that's what he he says. He he comes up and he asks Jesus, what must I do to gain eternal life? Like, what can I do to to get that one thing? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, follow the commandments. And the rich young ruler goes, "I've, I've done that. And so I think what we can begin to see is that Jesus is not saying that we are saved by, again, sort of adhering to a rigid morality in hopes that we'll gain his favor, because Jesus is not going to say, oh, great, you've done that? Awesome. Well, I'll see you, you know, in that place when we get there. He doesn't say that. He looks at him, he loves him, and he says, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. And so here's the thing. What Jesus is not trying to say is that we can be saved by works, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to get at this young man's pride. Because here's, here's the thing. I want you to picture it this way. This, the, this rich young ruler is coming up to him and is saying, Good teacher, what must I do? Because he knows, or he feels like he knows anyway. I've got it in my back pocket. It's here. You want me to follow the laws? I've done that. Done. Finished. But Jesus is going to point straight to that sin that is still remaining, that imperfection that is not dug out by by adhering to a list of rules. He's going to dig into his pride. He's going to dig into where he really finds his worth, where he really finds his value, which is in his possessions. It's in what belongs to him. Right? This this rich young ruler doesn't think that he's a sinner in need of grace. He thinks he's someone who has adhered to the law well enough to have the good teacher say, you're awesome. And that's not what Jesus is going to say. Right? Jesus dutifully lovingly, right? What does it say? It says, it doesn't say Jesus looked at him, thought he was stupid and said, well, one thing you lack. 
It says Jesus looked at him. He loved him. He loved him. And he said, he said, brother, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Sell all you have. Give to the poor. And he walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. You see, he, 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 missed, he missed the point. He missed the point. He, he, he showed who his true Savior was in that moment. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't this God that he had sort of dutifully served by doing all the things that were comfortable for him. It was, it was what he had. He literally, he just asked the person that he apparently believes is, is at least a good teacher and maybe quite possibly also the Messiah. He just asked that person, what must I do to gain eternal life, right? Like if you said, if... Let's just imagine you sat right in front of God and you got to ask the same question. And he told you the answer. Like it came from God. Not a, not a pastor, not a preacher, not another Christian, not another fallible human being, but it came from God. Like, I think I would take that advice. You know, like I think I'd be like, okay, if that's really it, like I'll do it. But this man is so captivated. He's so captured. He's so enslaved by what it is that belongs to him that even in the face of God himself, he turns away in sorrow. And he says, I can't let these things go. You see, um, what I would hope for us to see in, in, in all of this is that, right, Je Jesus doesn't need this rich young man's anything. Right? In fact, he doesn't even ask for it himself. He says, go give it to the poor. You know, just whatever. Just get rid of it. What, what Jesus doesn't want is, is money from you if you're a Christian in the room. He wants, he wants giving for you. Right? Jesus doesn't want giving from you. He wants giving for you. Do you, do you understand the difference in that? Because that, that is so important. Giving is not something that, that God wants from you. It's something he wants for you. Like that's what we see happening here in this exchange with the rich young ruler, right? Because Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or good people better. He came to set people free. He came to set people free from what enslaved them. And what had enslaved this young man was his possessions, and so when he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, it's not because I want these things. It's because I want you to be free. I want you to be free. So here's the thing. If you're, if you're a Christian in the room, when, when, I, when I get up and, and talk to you about giving of your finances, when I talk to you about being generous with your home, opening up your refrigerator to... To, to all, we, we like food here, right? We, we already said that. Um, when I talk about being generous with all that you have, when I talk about being willing to lend your beautiful new car to whoever, like when, when, I talk, when I ask you to do those things, it's not because I just want a response from you, but it's because if, if anything, I would want for us to be a people who are just ridiculously free because the gospel says that in Jesus we are. And so why would we return to our bondage? Like, why would we go back and say, could you put the handcuffs back on, please? That's ridiculous. 
So when we, when we talk about, yeah, you should, you should submit a pledge. You should tell us how much you're, you're going to give. Or you should, you should put money in the offering plate at the, at the end. We don't do an offering plate. We have like a thing on the wall back there. When we tell you to do those things, again, it's not, it's not man, Marshall really just needs some cash. Like, he's saving up for that helicopter, you know, to, to, to fly between locations, you know, when we're a church of 40,000 people. Like, it's not that. It's, no, it's none of those things. Like, we can't, if you haven't, if you've been around for a while, like, you should know that we keep things pretty bare bones around here. Right? So it's not, it's not about that. It really isn't. It, it isn't Sojourn needs more money. It isn't, like, primarily underneath all of those things, first and foremost, what we want for you, what God has called me to do as a pastor is to see to it that you grow into the freedom that you've been given. And brothers and sisters, if you don't give to the church, you're still a slave. You're still in bondage. You're still in captivity. And so what I want to do, all I'm trying to do is to give you the keys to release yourself. Release yourself from that sort of incessant need to sort of to care for yourself. When, when the Bible tells us that not only has God knit you together in your mother's womb, but that he knows the, the amount of hairs that are on your head. That if he clothes the lilies of the field in this way, why do you worry? That if not a sparrow falls to the ground unless the Lord wills it, then what are you worrying about? You see, the, the reason we, we run to money so much is because we really think that in it, we will be saved. We really do. We think that we'll be saved from, you know, a life of poverty. We, see, we think that we'll be saved from a life of, 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 I mean, whatever, people looking down on us because we don't have sort of the latest, new, greatest thing. Like, we really think that it's going to deliver us. Like, man, when that rainy day comes, at least I'll have this stockpile of cash. We really believe like, that, that it's going to save us. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, like, you've been saved. You've been saved. It's done. And you have, the promise, you have the promise of God through Jesus applied to you by the Spirit that says all things work together for your good. Why? Because those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he'll sanctify, and he'll glorify. That is really and truly all that you need. All that you need. So, uh, I think that what we can ultimately draw from, from all of this is that God is not so much concerned about uh, what we give and is probably more concerned with what we keep and why. Right? Like Jesus isn't telling the young ruler, bring it to me so that I can count it up and make sure that you've given 10%. No, he's saying, he's saying give all of it. Why? Because when you give all of it, you will be free. You'll inherit eternal life because you will have wrested from your grasp the idols of this world. Your, your current Savior, will, you, you'll send it away and you'll really begin to look at me as your Savior. And, and guys, that's, that's what I want for Sojourn. Like, I want to be that people. I want to be that people that is just free, confident in their salvation before the Lord, confident in the fact that the Lord has given us all things. And so we're free to give in the same way that he has given, right? 
The Bible tells us that it's because he first loved us that, that we can love, right? Like that that's where that capability even comes from. The ability to love comes from the fact that God first loved us. Well, I would argue and I would posit that the same thing is true of our giving. We can give and we can give well because God first gave. God first gave to us in, in breathing life into us in the garden. We sat underneath his grace even in that time. He sustained us by his will, by his power. And of course, we, we sit under his grace now. The grace, the grace and the good news of the gospel and the specific graces that he's shown us in giving us time and giving us talents and in giving us resources to leverage for his glory. And so here's the thing. When we, when we begin to ask, like, to, to what measure do we give? Well, I think um, I'm just going to read to you to close my my. I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say it's my favorite portion of Scripture. Um, if you've ever heard me preach, I've probably used it almost every sermon, so sorry about that. Um, but I'm going to read it for you anyway. So uh, Philippians chapter 2, um, verses 5 through 11, um, are, are, are going to illustrate for us what it looks like um, to be a people who, again, steward our resources for the glory of God. This is about Jesus. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this, this mind is already yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he had a resource, chose not to grasp it, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus stewarded all that he had for the sake of God the Father, for the, for the sake of his name. It's, it's silly for us to call ourselves followers of Jesus if we're not willing to do the same. Let's pray.